Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Two Peas. I just drew myself a bath. I just came out here from the bath, got my robe on. Has anyone seen Nicholas? I think. Nick? Is he in the bathroom? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Two Peas on a Podcast. And right across the way is the salt to my burn, Nicholas. How are you? There's a castle behind you. Yeah, that's right. Uh, glasses guy here reporting live from the salt burn estate. <laughs> Gerald, can you hear me? Gerald? <laughs> Gerald, are you there? <laughs> oh, God, I think I'm going to die. I didn't expect that. Me, Gerald, you're, you're breaking <laughs> up. It, it sounds like you're wheezing and dying like an old man. Can you hear me? I could hear you. I did not expect the reporter okay. to, to come in. That was great. That was okay, good. Okay, we're live good here. Uh, things, things are really <laughs> tense and moody here right now, and it feels like things are getting ready to pop off literally mm. any second. Uh, I'll say. Everyone is about to lose their minds. I think that's what it says on the poster for Saltburn. That's what we're covering this week, folks. The new Emerald Fennell movie. First movie was Promising Young Woman in 2020, I think think so and she's back back with her sophomore effort which we will be covering tonight i've been very excited to talk about this movie i actually didn't know we were doing this on the show nick i didn't think we were going to be able to squeeze it in with all the end of the year stuff that we have going on and you were afraid it might not be playing near you and here we are so i'm thrilled that i get to finally discuss this movie on the mic yeah but before we do that we like to roll a segment there's a little caveat but we like to roll a segment that we call one big question you could ask yourself a question. I have a lot of questions. Number one, how dare you? How dare us? I almost played the wrong the song drop for that. <laughs> <laughs> so, one big question we usually pitch a question at each other. We thought it would be fun to kind of switch it up a little bit because we get a lot of great questions in the fan feedback every week from our listeners. And we obviously can't answer all of them. So, we said, why don't we let them kind of come up with a one big question? And we kind of talk beforehand of a question that we want to discuss at the top of the episode. So, Nick, why don't you read to the folks what question and whose question it was that we decided to talk about here for a couple minutes? Uh, we decided to switch it up as podcasters speak for we couldn't think of one big questions for ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> we got Julio, our, br our brother from the contrarians. Uh, we love you, Julio. Uh, we, were, we, uh, we talked about answering his question, is this the flash of Oscar hopefuls? But I think, Gerald, instead we pivoted to how many movies do you give a filmmaker before you decide you're a ride or die follower of theirs? Because this is Emerald Fennell's sophomore effort. Of course, mm -hmm. as you mentioned, Promising Young Woman, which I really loved. I really, really loved yeah. that movie. So I was looking forward to this one a lot. And I know you were a big fan of Promising Young Woman as well. Yep. It was my favorite movie of that year. And to answer Julio's question, I think it really only takes... I mean, there's kind of two answers, but it could very easily be one film uh, for me personally. Like I get very loyal to filmmakers that I just kind of follow their whole career. And I know we talked about Alexander Payne last week, and I feel like you're like that with him. And, you know, you thought downsizing was a dud, but I mean, you still love the guy, you know, and he's back yeah. in your good graces with the holdovers. So you're going to find out what I thought about Saltburn, but even if I hated Saltburn, I love Emerald Fennell as a filmmaker. I think she's fearless. I am a ride or die of hers, as he put it in the question there, Julio. I absolutely will be seated any movie or TV show or anything that she does because of the way that she shoots films and the colors and uh, the score, the music. I mean, she has such great sound drops and use of music and... So far, the two movies that she's done that she's done have really spoken to me too, from like a time period perspective. Because you know, Saltburn was two thousand six. You know, I I mean, I remember that like it was yesterday. And you know, she just really captures a lot of things that are close to to my psyche. Do you know what I mean? So I would say one movie is enough. What about you, Nick? Tingling those nostalgia berry for the for the aughts. Is that what it was? Yeah, that's it think that's what it was called yeah i i would agree i would agree with you 100 it's one it's literally one like if it's a good enough film you're gonna immediately be kind of attracted to the style that that director has 
and you're going to want to keep going back for more and more and more. I mean, think of like a Nolan, think of like a Tarantino, think of like uh, Tim Burton, even Tim Burton's got a really, really unique kind of yep. style and things like that. And I think to kind of stick to the point of Saltburn here for Emerald Fennell, I think whether you love or hate Promising Young Woman and Saltburn, I don't think you could say that either film is necessarily made badly. At least I would argue that you can't because uh, mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. both of them are made like really, really well in, in certain yeah. aspects. Obviously we'll talk a lot about Saltburn when we get to it, but I, I, yeah, it's, it's one. And, and then like, you know, you have to be a filmmaker who makes, you have to churn out like just dud after dud after dud for me to eventually just to be lose like, me. Nope. Wash mm-hmm. my hands of you, throw my hands up and walk away. Like, you know, I, I think the countdown boys refer to it as De Palma-ing, you know, where De Palma, <laughs> sure. De Palma had fallen from grace, well, you know, a very, very long time ago. Uh, I, I, I would I would say, yeah, I would say one. I would definitely agree. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, we're tied either, but you know, even I think of a filmmaker like Cameron Crowe, even who in the '90s and early to mid 2000s was just banger after banger, just a greatest hits compilation like no other. And then he kind of started to kind of fall off a little bit. But to your point, I would still show up for him because of how connected to his films I was in the first like ten years of his career. And he did a couple duds that I saw that I hated, like we bought a zoo and like. I mean, Elizabethtown was okay. Like, I liked parts of it. But, I mean, as a film, it was definitely not on par with a lot of his other stuff. But, I mean, I'll, you know what I mean? Like, if he put a movie out next year, I'd be there. You know, just because I, I think if you get on with these filmmakers, or even if we're, ex- as an extension, if you're talking about actors, mm-hmm. if you get on with them, like, at the beginning of their careers, kind of, and you kind of grow with their success, too. Like, you mentioned Tarantino, which was peak movie lover time for me mid 90s i mean that was when i was becoming a cinephile so i kind of grew up with quentin having his success so i don't care what he makes i'm gonna go (laughs) you know what i mean like and i'm gonna probably love it i mean i you know i love everything the guy does so uh, i would say one as well is is plenty for me to be a ride or die julio thank you for the question we're gonna be mixing it up a little bit i'll still be asking for feedback every week but then nick and i will kind of get together before the episode and we will handpick a question to talk about at the top of the review. Speaking of the review, Nick. Uh-oh. Emerald Fennell's sophomore film, Saltburn, is one that we are discussing tonight. And now, before we get into the meat and potatoes of the review, we always Ooh, give our potatoes? score up top out of 10 without discussing it with each other in what we call the early score reveal. Damn it! This always happens! I think I'm gonna score and then I never score! It's not fair! Is that the right sound drop? You didn't play that. I feel like you played that wow. before. For the other you one. know what? You know, Listen. <laughs> hey, I'm mystified by the landscape where you're uh, recording this episode. I can't believe you were able to get in there. There's so their security's pretty tight, so I'm listen, proud of I'm you. I'm just like, like uh, this, this place is so bougie. Uh, like... I know it sounds like oh, uh, like I'm in a studio right now. I I know it seems like I'm indoors in an echoey office, but really they've built like no. this nice little soundproof booth outside in front of this little, you know, man-made pond in front of this beautiful castle here. Oh, no, wait, wait. Oh, that guy's got blood on his mouth. Uh, well, I'll ask him. I'll ask oh, him about that later. I'll find out what find happened out about, about that, that later. Yeah, find out about that. We'll have to discuss when you get the info on that one. All right, man, you ready? I'm going to catch you in here. Our yeah, uh, scores out of 10. We have not discussed it with each other. Out of 10 for Saltburn. Here we go. Three, two, one. Wow. Oh. <laughs> Dude. He's dragging down the average again, baby. That's a five All right, for hold me. On. Hold on. A nine from me and a five from Nick. So Glasses nine out of 10. Voting a five from Saltburn. Uh, live from Saltburn voting a five on salt burn there there you go read it and weep salt burners so that's a seven out of ten from the peas which maybe i should have given it a 10 to boost it up a little bit even higher <laughs> boost, it up, boost it up a little bit yeah all right. All, right, all right a cumulative score of seven out of ten on salt burn nine from me five from nick you want to go first you want me to go first what do you want no, to do here in the I general would, what i'm most curious about and i had a feeling you were going to rate this much much higher than me uh, yeah. I've got a lot of good things to say about this movie. My score, okay. I'm going to say this from the outset. I think my score is honestly, like for as many things as I enjoyed about the film, my score is going to seem low. 
we'll talk more about why that necessarily is as we get a little bit further into it. But I, you gave it a nine out of 10, man. So I want to hear the love fest out of you. Like, let's wait to get into the other stuff later. Okay, no problem. The only thing, and I'm not even kidding. The only thing that did not work for me for this entire, uh, the runtime is just a shade over two hours. Yeah. 137, 131 minutes. (laughs) We talked about earlier. So a little over two hours. The only part of this movie that I didn't like or that didn't work for me is the little montage thing at the end that we'll talk about when we get to the spoiler discussion. By the way, this is spoiler-free for a few minutes, anybody that has not seen it, but we will let you know when we get into spoilers because there's heavy spoilers for specific scenes and stuff. You that can't we're really talk, talk about. about anything with this yeah, movie yeah. without spoiling it, yeah. Yeah, so generally, that was the only thing. The rest of this movie, man... And I know, you know, film subjective and that kind of thing. This is, I'm a sicko, dude. Like, this is my cup of tea, bro. Like, filmmakers like, you know, most recently, like Yorgos Lanthimos and, you know, Killing of the Sacred Deer and The Lobster and, you know, even further back to films like David Lynch as a filmmaker. uh, I see hints of those types of, uh, you know, filmmaking techniques on display here with Saltburn. And I think that... I think Promising Young Woman is is a better movie for me, like, I mean, in terms of like an enjoyment level, but I think Saltburn is a better made movie. I think it's a more well-made movie. She really, really upped her game from the director's chair and the cinematography, we already talked about the music and the score, the way she kind of shoots this film in a very constricted, I think it was like a one by three, three, one or something ratio, like a really crazy ratio that I saw an interview with her that she did intentionally to kind of put the viewer in this grandiose, you know, she wanted you to be able to see the high ceilings and wanted everything to be kind of stretched vertically as opposed to horizontally, which is what we're used to with the widescreen format. Mm-hmm. And just all these choices that were made and to set it in 2006 so that it was pre-social media it was I, had, I saw something funny where she said she really wanted to do it so they could smoke in public because it was like right before they banned smoking everywhere. <laughs> and there's a lot of really, quote unquote, cool smoking in this movie, especially from like Jacob Elordi's character. So I get it. I, I get why. And I'm not saying that you hated it, but I get why people hate it or didn't get it or whatever. It's a lot to take in and it's a lot thematically and it's kind of scattered in that way but visually and everything from the top down technical wise to the performances and obviously I'm talking about the direction already just worked for me man like I it was like the phrase a kid in a candy store for me I mean this is exactly what Gerald wants when he goes to the movies is this weird bubblegum visual like confetti just being sprayed all over me where are you at with your five, man? What do you think generally before we get into the spoilers? I mean, I, I think for, for given the score, I, I, I love the performances in this film. I think by and large, they're really, really good performances. I, I really, really love, uh, you know, the production design, the way the film was shot again, the four, three ratio. Uh, like, I mean, this, this setting, like, look, I mean, look at it. It's, it's gorgeous. You know, mm-hmm. like I mean, this the cinematography and 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 set design and everything in this film it, it is is impeccable. It's it's unbelievable. It's it's really 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 well made. I think the, the problem why this movie gets a five for me, G is this just did not connect to me whatsoever. I kind of during watching this movie, I kind of kept sitting there waiting for something to happen. Because it was obvious, like, there was just this tension hanging over the movie, which, I mean, like that to, that's to Emerald Fennell's credit. That's, you know, you want to, in a movie like this, you want a, an atmosphere of tension kind of hanging over it a little bit. But, I mean, I'm kind of just waiting for something to happen the whole time. And for everybody else, like, I don't know, like, I don't know how you felt about it the first time you saw it or whatever. You'll have to ring in on it. But I was waiting for everybody else to to find Oliver as weirdly creepy as i did and wondered why anyone would want to hang out with him or want him around and then like as events start to happen you know at the school and at Saltburn and everything well we'll get there in spoilers there's a lot of stuff that happens in yeah. this movie that we really right. need to talk about but like i kind of kept sitting there waiting to be like just just does nobody else see this is nobody else going to mention this is nobody else going to say anything about this right at all 
Well, that's interesting, and I, you know, I'll chime in right before we rip down the spoilers and just touch on that real quick because that's an interesting take, and I've actually heard that take from other people that I've listened to interviews and reviews and stuff. But I, Barry Keoghan, who plays Oliver, who's the lead character, I did not find him creepy until it's kind of revealed to us. I thought he was kind of this shy, charming. Uh, unlucky soul who <laughs> wanted to wanted to fit in, and a lot of that at least worked for me from his performance. I don't, and we'll let's go ahead and peel back the spoilers, guys. So going forward, anything that we say about Saltburn will spoil certain scenes, characters, whatever plot and twist I'll, for I'll, you. I'm so this we don't normally reiterate this for the spoiler wall, but if you're planning on seeing this movie go see it before you listen to this portion of the review because there's so much that happens and I feel like it's better probably. I mean, that's true for most films I would say, but in this kind of a film, especially because you definitely don't want to know anything going into this. That was G told me that last week, not to like literally watch or look at anything for it. And I, I didn't, I knew, I knew only that it was an Emerald Fennell film and I had seen like the picture of, of Oliver's character, like on the balcony in the bathroom, that one kind of like, it's like the most, I think it's like the most, like the, the most marketed shot that I've like seen from the, sure. from the movie hanging out there. Yeah. Please, 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 you know, just come back to this portion at the end, bookmark it in your podcatcher and then come back and listen to us blather on about it after that. Now I'm going to, I'm going to use this as a jumping off point, Nick, and then I want you to kind of build on what I'm about to say here, but the plot, beats of the movie aside i think what is so fascinating about a movie like saltburn and about saltburn specifically is how it elicits conversation and how it has it i love movies that are down the middle like i'm just gonna tell you right now like probably some of my favorite movies to like talk about are movies that are probably sitting around 50 percent on rotten tomatoes (laughs) like i'll just tell you right now that are divisive yeah yeah, yeah. Last year, one of my favorite movies, I think it was like my number two of the year last year, was Babylon. The Damien Chazelle film that's like three hours that half the world hated and half the world loved. I was on the side that loved it. I don't know if you saw that one or not. Nope. But this is this year's Babylon to me because I just love that it just, whether you hate it or love it, you're, you're kind of scratching your head and you're kind of pondering what Fennell was trying to get across or was she trying to get anything across? I mean... Do you think she had a message for this movie or do you think this movie was shock with little substance? I don't think it was. Well, I, I don't think it I don't think it doesn't have substance. And I also don't think I mean, it, 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 it just kind of is what it is. If you take a message from it, you do. If you don't, you don't. I don't think I, I don't necessarily think that there's an intended message here. If least maybe if there was, it didn't hit me in the head hard enough. Uh, but I don't think that I don't think that that necessarily matters either, whether or not a movie is intended to have a message or whatever. I think substance is all kind of within the eye of the beholder. Anyway, mm-hmm. it's like all within the eye of the consumer. Like when, when once you once you consume a thing or whatever, I think, you know, for for whatever we're going to say about this movie from here going forward, I think that this is definitely the film that Emerald Fennell wanted to make. And I think yeah. achieved that I like to whatever end, I think achieved exactly what she was going for to that end and 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 to 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 me like even though like i'm gonna rate this movie lower is 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 a great achievement like i mean this this like this wasn't meant to play to a wide audience this wasn't meant to play to you know general audiences who want everything wrapped up in a neat little bow although Mm -hmm. there's a scene like that we'll talk about i know Uh, there's you know there's a lot of there's a lot of those kind of different things you know where i i really feel like this was just made for you know just made for people who who just want something who just want something to kind of like immerse themselves into and just get kind of twisted up by it twisted up in a good way twisted up in a bad way or whatever whether that be mentally emotionally whatever uh, i think this movie's meant to i guess what i'm trying to say is i think this movie's meant to invoke a reaction out of you sure whether that's positive or negative whether that be anger whether that be happiness whether that be insane creepiness i can't believe you didn't think that oliver was creepy man literally like hair <laughs> <on the back laughs> of my neck like bristling like super, at oxford super, at oxford 
super skeevy, creepy dude. I mean, he started out like th- there was a brief period, and I'm talking like the first maybe 10 minutes of the movie where I was like, oh, he's really meek and quiet and like all these different things and wants yeah. to be in with like the whole thing. Like, dude, from from the second, there's a scene that happens in the movie where uh, Felix is like the really the dreamboat, like handsome attractive funny like literally he's like god's gift to everybody i want to be him everybody wants to be him like literally that kind of uh that kind of a character that kind of a person Uh, you know like his 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 um his mojo with him kind of runs out his mojo Mm. with him kind of runs out like he like he he befriends him by giving him the bike because mm-hmm. his his bike like had a flat tire and whatever mm-hmm. like he befriends him and ingratiates himself like into their group by doing that but then right. like he runs out of capital there and so then like the whole thing about the dad comes right. up about like he gets that phone call that like his dad dies and everything right that to me like like all that to me felt off like it felt disingenuous to me and i'm just like it didn't for me though like it, it, it really seemed to me like it, it, it felt like to me. I'm like, this guy's concocting this stuff. I didn't know to what degree. Like, I, I'm not saying like I called it all out ahead of time because I definitely didn't. But what I'm okay. saying is, it gave me an off vibe. I was like, nah, something's not right about this. Like, he's definitely doing this because because Felix starts to like kind of ignore him and is like, okay, yeah, like, well, we hung out, but like, you're we're not friends or anything. Like, we don't need to hang out or anything. Right. And then all of a sudden, Felix can or Oliver concocts this way to get Felix like sympathy to get his but sympathy at the same time. At the same time, though, at Oxford, when he comes to Felix's room or dorm room or whatever and tells him about his dad and he's breaking down. And I did like, in other words, we don't see him hatching a plan to do that. So this is a perfect thing for what I'm about to say, but I feel like if you believed what the character was, because I'll just tell you, and I know we're into spoilers, but until they went to Oliver's parents' house in the one scene, the towards the end of the film, I did not know that any of that was fabricated. I I did begin to think that Oliver was more insidious than I had thought the first half of the film when he gets to Saltburn and does some things. And we have the scene with uh, the sister, uh, Venetia, yep. played by Allison Oliver, who's a newcomer who I thought did awesome. In this Phenomenal. For, She's great. For this to be her first feature role. She's really, great. really great. Cast top to bottom in this is, I think, great. I think the, I think the cast t- top to bottom yeah. in this is fantastic. And Oliver says in that scene with her that he's a vampire and he mentions that and obviously does some crazy shit, uh, you know, going forward for the rest of the film, kind of starting gets with his, that scene with gets her. Gets his Red Wings, boys. Yeah, yep. he does. Ah. So I guess what I'm saying is, is that I think I was more connected to what was happening and I was more um invested in his character until I started kind of learning to different things that were unsavory which we don't find out really till he get till after that scene with Venetia really and then it kind of starts to become like oh shit this guy's doing some shit that I you know, I don't understand why anybody would do this in real life yeah. there's there's three major um shock scenes in this movie that I want to touch on real quick and I want to make sure we talk about all three of them before we mm-hmm. run out of time and I asked you what, well, let me say, let me leave with this. You said that you kept waiting for something to happen in this movie, generally speaking. You said that in your open. And I kind of asked you if you, if I, if you thought the movie had a message. So we're going to talk about those three scenes. Don't let me forget. But before we lead into them, what is Saltburn about for you? Like, do you think this movie is about anything? Like, in other words, if you were explaining this to somebody without spoiling it, what is this movie? What it, What is she saying, man? Because that's what's fascinating to me. Because I feel like, and I, the reason I'm asking is I feel like she's too smart of a filmmaker to just put a bunch of images on screen. Like, I feel like she definitely had something in mind, like a story that she wanted to kind of tell us. Do, do you get what I'm saying? And I don't know. Now, I think the movie is about desire. And the and love and wanting to be loved, you know, one. 
Go ahead. It's also obsession. Throw throw a big dose of obsession in there. Uh-huh. And, you know, kind of like, you know, throw in like a whole bunch of extra like sexual deviancy and you know, whatever else you whatever else you 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 really wanna you really wanna throw in there. I mean, what does the movie mean necessarily? I mean, I think I think that <laughs> I know, it's, it's crazy. I think that it's 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 a psychological thriller ish. I guess it's not probably like a thriller thriller by the most like uh strict definition or anything like that but like no it, it hasn't it has an atmosphere to it and, and and i don't know if i know how to describe it properly words are going to fail me here but it has an atmosphere about it wherein i was waiting the whole time g i was just waiting for something to happen now you're talking about the shock scenes the shock scenes aren't what i'm referring to in that kind of case i'm waiting for like the big plot spin the big something that's going to happen as part of this plot that's going to be like, oh, snap, things just got lit up. I was just waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting the whole time. Like, I felt so off about Oliver. I'm like, there's something about this character that's just not sitting right. Like, because here's the thing. And, and to Barry Keoghan's credit, he does a phenomenal job. He's great. He He's very effective in basically the Jekyll Hyde of this character. He's quiet mm-hmm. and reserved and like shy and all these things in one scene. But then, like, he's, like, got this, like, super aggressiveness to him in in another way, in another scene. And, like, the character is very, very uh, forward in things like that, in different scenes. Right. So it's it's not just that that character is one thing. The character is painted with this whole giant, like, rainbow, like this kaleidoscope of different, like, right. emotions, different different things like that, where from one scene to the next and you've watched this film multiple times. You have to have noticed this on a rewatch. This character, it's kind of a different person from scene to scene almost in, so, in some cases. like Yeah, I like the, the Jekyll and Hyde comparison. Yeah. I, I never thought of that before. It, I like his that. character transforms, like not transforms literally, but like there's definitely like something different going on with him in like different scenes to the whole time. I just felt uneasy. I didn't know to what extent. I didn't know what he was doing, what he was planning, what was going to happen necessarily in the film. But like the whole time, the whole time I'm like, something's going to happen. And like this dude, like there's something going on with him. And then, and then we'll drop like one of the first big spoilers here. Boom. Felix dies after the, after the big party. Yeah, well, that's not, is that the, that's not the first, I mean, I that's guess like I was going to ask big, you because you were like talking the first about big twist though. Right? Well, what about when he goes to his parents' house though? Was that a twist for you or did you kind of expect his parents to be upper middle class and just kind of like living a dream over there? You know what I mean? No. Like I, cause he had said his dad was dead and his mom was, I think a drug addict. He said a couple times and I didn't expect his parents to necessarily be anything. I just like, it was just kind of one of those revelatory, like, Oh, I knew this mofo was up to no good. Like, oh, I knew that there was more to meet the eye okay. here. Like, it was just kind of one of those revelatory. Like, it was, it was like, it validated my off feeling about him that there was something definitely going on, like beneath the surface with that character that put me mm-hmm. like very ill at ease. It kind of was only just like validation of that. Like, it confirmed that. If that makes, if that makes sense. Um, it does. I. That was it for me. Like when when they were on the way to the parents' house and the car ride, which was the day of the party, and Elsbeth, uh, by the way, <laughs> Rosamund Pike in this movie is fucking like <laughs> operating on an absolute angelic level. I mean, she is so, amazing in this great. movie. Yeah, she's really really uh, good. The best comedic bits come from her. I mean, it's in the trailer, but she has that one thing where she's like, I have an utter and complete horror of ugliness. I don't know why. (laughs) And that's kind of like her character, you know? So uh, she's she's, great. But anyway, really great. So she throws a party for him. She's kind of feeling a connection, almost like, uh, almost like another son for her is, is Oliver since he's been at Saltburn and she's kind of taking him under his wing. So she throws him this big party before the summer ends. And that morning is when, uh, Felix takes him to a surprise visit to his mom's house uh, because, you know, Felix cares for Oliver and wants him to kind of mend the broken relationship with his mom, not knowing that it was all a lie and that everything's fine with his mom and his dad's alive and they're basically upper middle class in London or whatever, wherever it was, near London. And uh, that was it for me when I was like, well, why did he lie about all of that because another thing nick i wanted to ask you is that i feel like there's an underlying commentary here about like kind of kind of like an eat the rich type thing where it's kind of like a satirical uh 
interpretation of, of that type of society that everyone at Saltburn kind of lives. But our main character in that realm is Felix, and he is a nice, sweet, like down to earth dude that doesn't feel like he fits with that kind of detachment of the rest of the folks in Saltburn, right? And I thought Jacob Elordi's performance was just awesome in that respect because even though he's quote unquote a rich asshole, I mean, you never think that about him, right? And I would I would go so far as to extend that not just beyond him, but to the rest of the family as well. I mean, you've got like the eccentric yeah, friend awesome. or aunt that Carrie Mulligan played, who Carrie Mulligan was also great <laughs> in this. Really, really, really <laughs> so great. Good, I mean, she was just Richard like e. Grant, weird, eccentric. Like, yeah, like Richard E. Grant was just like like wealthy, <laughs> but not like mean or like darkly whatever, but like right. just kind of very, very aloof and like yeah really whatever like you mentioned rosamund pike who was fantastic allison oliver who was fantastic uh how about like you know you know my favorite my favorite character in the whole movie i know it's gotta be yours too it's gotta be one of yours anyway is is duncan paul reese's duncan the butler oh the butler yeah like like literally like kudos to them for making that character just constantly look like super creepy yeah he was yeah he doesn't give you that like because he you can I, you almost kind of feel, at least for me, you almost kind of feel that he sees Oliver for what Oliver truly is. Mm-hmm. And because he's just a butler, like there's nothing much that he can do about it. But like you could just kind of tell that maybe maybe the butler just kind of is like, y'all, yeah. y'all really falling for this kid's whole shtick? Like really you're all, you're yeah, all going he, I did all this? get that. I did get yeah. that sense from him. And I also got the sense that he was kind of on a broader scale, the interpretation of like not wanting outsiders in Saltburn and uh, he didn't belong there, you know, kind of like that too. I got from him a lot where he was, he was almost like the, you know, human representation of Saltburn, you know, yeah, like yeah, if, yeah, Saltburn, that, yeah. if Saltburn were a person, you know what I mean? Um, okay. Let's talk about these three scenes, Nick. So the first oh, one, God, no <laughs> major, major spoilers, guys. Also not safe for work. All right. Uh, first one, we, See Allison Oliver's character, Venetia, um, the sister of Felix. It's also implied throughout the movie. I don't know if you caught this, but there's a couple different pieces of dialogue that imply there may have been an incestuous relationship with her and Felix that Emerald Fresnel kind of threw in the screenplay there. Uh, but there's some weird shit going on nonetheless. And she loves Felix very, very much too, that we learned throughout the film. But that's his sister. And she's kind of in the moonlight out in the, in the, on the lawn in the middle of the night looking sexy and kind of alluring and the way it's filmed even adds to that a little bit. And Oliver Caesar goes out to, you know, to talk to her basically. And to make a long story short, they end up becoming intimate and he ends up uh, performing oral sex on her in the yard while she is on her period. Did I phrase that correctly? Just, just, just say you got his red wings, G. (laughs) He got his, he got his, he got his red wings. Uh, yes. Yes. He went uh, down on her during that time yeah. of the month as, as, as it were, she, she even <clears throat> mentions this to, to, to him. And I mean, like I said, like, like these are the, like all these different things, like even that, cause that's way before you find out about the parents, G like, even then you're not yeah. just like, no, that's when I was kind of like, wait a second. Like, what? Uh, that was detached from his character prior to, for me. Now you're saying you kind of felt something unseedy prior to that, but that was the moment for me where I was like, well, that doesn't match up with the Oliver before this, because, you know, everything before this, he was kind of the underdog and like, you know, Felix had to give him money at the bar to pay for the shots. And you know what I mean? Like he was this, the studious person at Oxford that was doing, reading all the books over the summer break. And you know what I mean? It didn't match up with the character that had been painted for us prior to that scene. So that scene felt like in real time, as I was watching it, I was kind of like, well, maybe that was one of those like shocking. Cause I had seen people say like, there's shocking stuff in Saltburn. You won't believe it. So I was thinking to myself, well, maybe that's just like one of those shocking scenes that kind of like was meant to stand out. Or Oliver's not who we thought he was, you know? Yeah. And then, <laughs> so I think like 
not even a few minutes after that, there's a scene where Felix, uh, played by Jacob Elordi, is taking a bath. And they kind of share this kind of Jack and Jill bathroom at Saltburn. So yeah, yeah. Uh, his room is on the other side of it, and it goes through to, to Felix's room. Yep. But anyway, um, Felix is taking a bath, and we see Oliver kind of watching him bathe. And while he's wa- without Felix knowing it, and while he's watching him bathe, Felix uh, masturbates mm-hmm. and presumably ends up ejaculating in the bathtub. Um, which I, mean, I want to know what kind of co- I want to know what kind of like lotion or whatever he was using because man, he was enjoying that. I'm, I he was into that. Brother. I want to know he what he had that. near. Did he have a flashlight in there with him or something? I don't know. <laughs> Two thousand six. I don't know if they were around. Something, maybe something was happening. So. He, you know, exits the bathroom, and as the bathtub is draining, Oliver gets into the tub and essentially ends up kind of slurping the bath water. And I've seen people say online that (laughs) they woke up and they're still thinking about the cum slurp in the (laughs) drain of the tub the day after. Um, Very... It was shot in a way that was very, um, like, kind of sexy, but also very, like, hard to watch, kind of. Like, it it was shot in a one. It was definitely, like, a cringe moment, but I also kind of felt, at that point of the movie, I believed Oliver's desire and attraction to Felix. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like Felix was the object of his affection. He was literally infatuated with the guy. So I felt like it kind of matched up with what I thought he felt for that character. Yeah, that scene did not surprise me, like because he's obviously obsessed with Felix. I mean, okay, so here's here's one knock I'm going to give against the film. Like we've been talking a lot about like all the different great things about this film, but I gave it a five. Okay, one of the knocks I'm going to give this film is why the opening montage. Why the opening montage where it replays a whole bunch mm. of the things about his confession that mm-hmm. he does at the end of the movie. I don't right. think it needs it. I, I really, really don't think it needs it because again, like this is one of the reasons why, like I always had an off feeling about the character because it kind of establishes it right from that cold open, <clears throat> like literally right from that opening. It, 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 it just kind of has Oliver's character, like giving like, it's like way spoilers for the end of the movie. But like when he gives his confession to rosamund pike's character about like everything that he did like he's sitting there and like giving like the oh was i in love with him like oh i loved him like all these kind of different things it's like even how flippant the character was and like even how kind of schemey is that a word Uh i don't know if that's a word but even like the way that the character the way that he talked about felix just in those scenes i immediately just got an off vibe about oliver i Mm. never could shake it like literally the entire movie and so when i watch a a scene like slurping up the you know masturbatory bathwater and finel i mean to finel's credit man that's good she puts the camera so close on Barry Keoghan's yeah. face while he's doing this. She yeah. wants you as a viewer to be uncomfortable watching this. Right. She wants you to be uncomfortable with how obsessed Oliver is with Felix. And she also wants to ratchet up that tension because the way that he's obsessed, like nothing bad's happened in the movie up to this point. You know, something's going to pop off. You know it. You're waiting yeah. for it. You're just anticipating. It. And I guess my biggest problem with the movie is it kind of just it plays with that expectation of just like something's going to happen. I know something's going to happen. Yeah. We, he's obsessed with, yeah, he's really obsessed with them. Like your whole time you're like, you got the watch in front of you and it's like, all right, now he's drinking this bath water. Oh man, this is getting worse. (laughs) It's really getting obsessed with them. Like he, he, you know, but for me, seduces Farley and gets rid of them and everything like that. Like, it's just like, I get what you're saying, but up until the bathtub scene, I also felt that way, but I felt like it was a organic ascension to, or descension, I guess we should say, to what he ultimately ends up doing. But I, in other words, I thought, and and honestly, I still might think this is what happens in the climax, but... I think his desire for Felix and not being able to have Felix 
which as an extension, not being able to have salt burn and not being able to have the wealth and the riches and the celebrity and whatever, whatever comes with all that stuff drove him crazy. And I kind of got, and I'm talking about at this bathtub scene, I'm kind of thinking like, oh, okay, Oliver was that shy kind of bookworm and he fell in love with this guy, kind of kept it a secret, he's been bottled up inside of him and he's going to get to a point where he's going to break, you know, he's going to explode. So we'll get to the ending of the movie in a minute, but that's why another reason why I didn't like the, that ending montage because that took all that away from me as a viewer because if it had left it ambiguous, I could have be sitting here right now to you and explaining to you, well, yeah, all this shit happened and he did all this because he drove himself mad and he was crazy. But I can't say that because of the spoon feeding that we got with that last montage. Before we get there, though, so the last, or I guess there's really a couple more, but another shocking moment that people have kind of dissected online and stuff is towards the end of the film, and you already mentioned it, when Felix dies, we find out that Oliver basically poisoned him, and that's how he died in in a maze in the backyard saltburn, which is very reminiscent of The Shining, by the way, which is Fennell Fennell has said is one of her favorite movies of all time. So that's not a surprise to me. Um, I mean, going nice back even further there. than that, like Greek mythology, there's a statue of a minotaur in the in the in the clearing yeah. that they're in when where he dies. Yeah, yeah. And he's wearing yeah, he's even sure. wearing Felix is even wearing, and I didn't even realize this until right now, but he's wearing angel wings like Icarus. Yes, like yes. I mean, yeah. And uh, somewhat similar to like a Romeo and Juliet story, too, because that's uh, what Claire Danes is wearing in the Bos right. adaptation yeah. of that. So I saw some of that, too. And you can see the influences of like a filmmaker like Lerman and a lot of film stuff. But um, so anyway, we kind of find that out. And the funeral happens, you yeah. know, I presume presumably a couple days later or whatever. And uh, they're putting him to rest, which, by the way, my favorite scene in this whole movie, I don't mean to get off track here. My favorite scene in this whole movie is the the lunch sequence after he dies yeah when the family's gathered around and the butler's trying to close the curtains and he can't close them and richard e grant's fucking flipping out like just close the fucking curtains yeah he's fucking pissed and uh venetia's pouring the wine and she just pours the whole bottle into the glass and it just spills over like it's a very like exaggerated like picture of grief but with like a ton of like black comedy built into it yeah because the mom is elizabeth is like so did you enjoy the party and it's like literally yeah. an hour after they found her son dead you know um but anyway I, I didn't mean to get off track there but i love that scene in that in the film so the funeral happens a couple days later and to make a long story short it's pouring down rain the funeral the service ends and oliver goes to kind of pay respects to the grave and he ends up hugging the grave, kind of like laying on top of the freshly dirt. Uh-huh. And eventually he takes his pants off and penetrates the gravesite where Felix is buried. And you mentioned the bathwater with Vanilla. He, he doesn't just penetrate it. He straight up humps the grave. He gets he, into it, man. He gets it on with the grave. Like yeah, literally, does, sure. I could check off seeing someone hump a freshly dug grave off my bucket <laughs> list. Now that was on there. That was high. So thank you, Emerald Fennell, for that one. And uh, to Fennell's point, you mentioned this with the bathtub scene and the close up of his face slurping the bathwater. She does it here too because she holds on that shot forever, bro. Yeah, like it was like, like two minutes. To, like as an audience member, you're meant to feel really, really uncomfortable by it. Yeah, like you, you yeah. really, you really, really are. And but I, again, I, I just felt it was. It doesn't play I, off to me though. Like it, it makes sense to me because that's how obsessed with Felix yeah. Oliver was. It makes sense. I agree. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna circle way back because you you jumped way ahead and you you, you, you you tried to run away from this whole he descended into madness thing. I okay. I completely disagree with that assessment of the film. I think because here's what back when they were at Oxford, like when he first met him and everything like that, he's already telling them the story about the mom and dad being junkies and like all this all this different stuff. I don't think he descended into madness. I think this character was always this crazy, mad, whatever, like insane, like whatever you want to talk to, like always have this kind of like sociopathic tendencies, whatever you want to say. 
but I think the reason that you can say that firmly is because of the montage scene at the end, which I hated. Like, in other words, if that montage scene didn't exist that showed us all the flashbacks of his preparation and all that stuff, you wouldn't really know. Like, you wouldn't really be able to say, oh, he was off his rocker from the beginning. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, in other words, it would be a lot easier for me to believe or to convince you or anybody else that he started here and descended to here. Yeah, I don't but think because. Yep. No, I ain't, I ain't buying it. I know you're not buying <laughs> it, but buying the it. reason you're not buying it is because of the montage, though. No, I'm not buying it because of the way Fennell made the movie. Like the character, I is know, a, I know, the character I agree is a liar and a manipulator from the, from the jump from minute one, like literally from minute one. The second that Felix casts him I don't out, oh man, the second that he, that Felix like doesn't call him back to invite him to the bar or whatever, he immediately concocts the story about his dad dying just to get Felix's sympathy. And it like immediately gets back into his good graces. Has the Red Wings scene with the sister? Has the serpent slurping up, sucking up the bathwater scene? <laughs> this is always who this character's been. He didn't descend yeah. into anything. This is exactly well, who he is. Exactly I who he was that. the whole time. I know that, but I'm speaking hypothetically. If we didn't know that, where I, I, you know I, what I'm saying. I, like I don't, I don't, I don't get where you're coming at that from, then, because, like I said, I don't, I don't think he descends into anything. Well, I, I think, think because then it would be, been. but that would be your analysis of the film. But but it would be like your opinion, though. Like there wouldn't be an ironclad, like definitive, spoiler like spoiler alert. That's what this whole thing we do is, G. <laughs> you know what I mean, though. I mean, I'm just saying, like, <clears throat> let's talk about the end real quick, then, because that's kind of what we're talking about anyway. But. Uh, the grave humping, all that stuff happens, and I was at a ten out of ten up until that point. Like I was literally, I had literally loved everything that had happened. We have this like time jump of like fifteen years, or I don't, I don't know, a long time to after Oliver. After the sister kills herself. Got to throw that in there. After the sister kills. Oh herself. yeah, we could talk about that actually. Yeah, so. Uh, you think she killed herself or you think he did it? You think she, she, he just gave her the blade and she did it. Right. That's what we're meant to. That's what, that's what it implies. Yeah. That's what we're that's meant kinda to. That's what I think too. So yeah, there's a bathtub scene, another bathtub scene <laughs> where Venetia, uh, with more blood, uh, which is symbolic too, I feel like, but she's, uh, kills herself with the blades that Oliver leaves by the tub for her. They have a conversation about how basically neither one of them can have Felix. Uh, or will never be able to have Felix. And, you know, that's his sister, but I already mentioned there's kind of some innuendo there, and she obviously feels a strong connection to him one way or another, and she decides to end her life, and she's out of the picture too now. So anyway, so that happens, and that's a pretty pivotal scene as well, especially for that character. But yeah, so we get a time jump of like 15 years. Oliver's in a coffee shop. In some town nearby, he seems to be doing pretty well. He's like reading books or whatever. And Lisbeth comes in, Rosamund Pike's character from Saltburn, and um, recognizes him. And they kind of reconnect. And this is when my anything negative for me happened in the movie because this is when we get that montage. And you know, she she coaxes him to go back to Saltburn, which. Obviously, he does. And we get that montage of all the flashbacks of what we had, you know, different things that we had seen in the movie, but how they were orchestrated by Oliver. They weren't chance. They didn't just happen. Yeah. Which that's what I was trying to say to you is that you may suspect that, but you would not be able to say definitively that he, you know, gave him a flat tire on his bike or that, you know what I'm saying? Like all that shit was kind of shown to us he had money at the bar but he acted like he didn't have money so he could be sympathetic or whatever so all this shit's kind of shown to us that he's kind of masterminding everything to get to where we get because because he wants to ultimately have saltburn so your favorite part the bookended narration comes back in too and barry keoghan's character starts kind of narrating everything that he's done and what he's accomplished as a result. And we get a scene of, of her dying. Elizabeth dies and presumably leaves him the estate. It's empty. 
She does leave. Yeah, him he does. There's she a does. whole there's a whole scene where she signs it over to him. Yep. And he uh, it's empty. There's no the butler's not there. There's no staff there that we see or whatever. And he's dancing, by the way, to murder on the dance floor, which is fucking awesome. <laughs> Sound drop completely naked. Uh, dinghy flying around, slapping on the thighs or whatever. He's, you know, uh, doing his thing, get, dancing. You will get Keogh Hog in this movie. Just, uh, you just will preparing get a, yourselves. You will get the Keogh and Pecker flying around there. And uh, <laughs> ultimately ends up in like the ballroom. And we see the family stones because, no pun intended, because uh, there's a scene in the movie that explains whenever somebody in the family dies, they write their name on a stone and they throw yep. it in the river. So all the family members that he, in one way or another, had something to do with their deaths are sitting there on the mantelpiece and he's dancing and he has salt burn and that's the end of the movie. So I hated the last like five minutes of the film, but I loved the first 95% of the movie. So that's kind of where I sit. I mean, did you like the whole like explaining montage thing at the end or I just hated that. I didn't think we needed it. Yeah, I agree with you. I could take or leave it. I think the film does a good enough job of spelling out because because here's the thing, like before the montage happened, I already assumed all those things happened anyway, because again, like I've had I've had this terrible off feeling about this character this whole time. I'm like, he planned all this. He did all this. And then so it becomes it, it, it becomes a, a waiting game in two facets. G number one, I'm just sitting here. Something happened. We get it. He's obsessed with him. He's getting ingratiating himself with this family. Something happened. Please happen. Okay. Felix finally dies. Something finally happened, but then they don't tell us how they literally tell us like literally almost nothing about it. Like they ain't no autopsy. Nobody, nobody was like, Oh, Hey, this kid was poisoned from this really, really rich family. And this friend he made at college just like a couple months ago that came to stay with him. Like, Hmm. You know, like, Uh all that stuff is weirdly missing from this movie for whatever reason. Probably don't try to do any kind of uh, cognitive heavy lifting on that aspect because it's only going to ruin and drag the film down for you more a little bit like it did myself. I'm like, why? Nope. Nobody did. Nobody did any investigation or anything like that. Hmm? Just put those razor blades on the edge of the bathtub with his, with his bare hands. And there weren't no fingerprints or nothing like that hanging out nah, up in man. there or anything like burning. that. Like, you know, I'm just like, well, maybe, 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 uh, maybe Duncan came through and polished him up or something like that. I don't necessarily know. Like I said, I, this is already how I felt about the character anyway. So the montage doesn't really make or break anything for the film for me in that regard. I'm going to tell you what doesn't work for me though. G. Okay. Mm. I'm fine with like him killing Felix out of obsession, like this obsessive, rage of like now felix has discovered that he's not who he says he is so he's just like well now you're never going to want me and now i can never get you back so now i'm going to kill you like I, I i'm fine with that and i'm fine with him pretty essentially coaxing the sister who's pretty much got him figured out into killing herself pretty fine with that as well james gets rid of him james buys him off kicks him out of salt burn that's the end of it does he have anything really to do with James's death? Do we know that? I don't think we know that for sure. It didn't mention it, no. It doesn't mention anything about it. But then, like, where I buy everything else that he does, except for the whole go back to Saltburn and ingratiate himself with uh, Elspeth again, and then... I don't know what she's ill with. I guess we're supposed to presume at that point that he's done something to her to put her on some kind of life support, which he then terminates anyway, rips out her breathing tube, which is a pretty gr- grotesque scene in, 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 in its own right. When he does that, it, like, it's like, are we meant to, are we meant to like believe that like he's responsible for whatever put her on her deathbed and he's just keeping her alive as a toy or whatever. But like in this whole thing to assume ownership of Saltburn or whatever, like, I didn't you tell me how you feel about this as as far as the ending of the film goes. Did you feel at any point leading up to this in the movie that his end game was acquiring Saltburn? Because it came out of absolutely left field for me. I'm just like, what? I'm like, Mm, I'm like, where was like all this time? He just he left. He took the bribe all this time. He left and just never went back. And then on a whim, when he because he orchestrated their meeting in the coffee shop, he didn't just run into her there by chance. Like all of a sudden, like when when James dies, he just decides he's going to go back there and take Saltburn. 
Yeah, I don't. I never thought of him acquiring Saltburn the property as like his end game or whatever. It was, it, uh, however, yeah. however, I am okay with uh, the property of Saltburn the estate as being symbolic for his desire to achieve uh, riches. You know, like to achieve more in his life. Like obviously, the character of Oliver is not happy with where he is in life, even though he doesn't have a bad life. Like. I mean, he was a great student at Oxford. His family's life seems to be great. Like, but he just wanted to be in that world that, you know, it would be similar today to like people that, you know, are middle class or even were, you know, even lower perhaps. And they like sit around and watch reality TV and like social media TikTok stars and like all these lifestyles that we just know nothing about. And to get in there somehow and to have access, I think that ultimately is the symbolism for what he wanted as a character. I don't think it was necessarily about the property, but I will agree with you that it was a super left field thing at the end. And I, I mean, I just didn't like the end. I mean, I already told you the last five minutes, I just didn't like it all. Like I didn't like the spoon feeding part in the screenplay. I didn't like, cause I mean, to what end? <laughs> so it's like, okay, now he has Saltburn. you know, he's what 30 years old and now he has Saltburn, and, Who's going to pay the property taxes on Saltburn? I mean, what's what is he doing? You know, what I'm saying like I just don't know what this like. I wouldn't be able to explain this character in a realistic like if I was sitting down talk. If this was something in the news, I wouldn't be able to understand what I was watching on the news. Like to what end is he? Because now he has Saltburn. It's like what now? Everybody that was there or that had anything to do with it is dead because you killed him or had something to do with him dying for the most part. Uh, obviously your parents have probably ostracized you. You don't have a relationship with them. I wouldn't imagine. So I just don't know. Does he want to live alone forever as a sociopath at Saltburn? Like, I don't know. It's just a weird, it's a very weird ending and I would have loved for it to be left on a bit of a, I don't think cliffhanger is the right word, but a bit of just like mystique and mystery and kind of like, we don't really know what's going to happen with him as opposed to being like, this is what happened with him. And he's dancing naked. You know, it's a, I mean, it's a strange thing because like on one hand, it's like, do we need the montage of him really kind of explaining like all the different things that he did? Like, it's just things that we, by that point in the movie, we've assumed that that's what already happened. Anyway, we, we know that he killed Felix somehow. We just don't know how necessarily, and on all these things, I think a real twist, a real shock to this film would have been if he didn't. I think I think that that would have been the real curveball that this would have hit for me that I would have been like blown away by. But it kind of played exactly how I expected it to. And then, like I said, it became a waiting game on two fronts. Number one, waiting for something to happen. And then number two, once that something happens, it's like, OK, we know Oliver's behind it. And we know eventually you're going to get to the point in the movie where you're going to reveal it to us. Just can we get there already, please? Like it just mm -hmm. kind of got long in the tooth on both of those fronts for me. And yeah, the whole him acquiring Saltburn thing, like getting ownership of like all of her assets and like Saltburn and everything. Like I never felt like that was end game for that character unless like, I mean, the argument could also be made that the character doesn't have an end game. Like it could also be meant, you know, maybe, maybe he saw that. James yeah. died and well, maybe not even that it's going to continue, but maybe that it wasn't even a plan until he saw in the paper that James had died and, you know, decided to decided to, you know, enact right. one final bit of uh, whatever. Maybe that you, there's an argument to be made. Maybe he's so hung up on his obsession with Felix after all this time and he just wanted to be in this place where felix lived like he wanted to be in felix's home and be around felix's things and all that kind of stuff like there's a lot of different ways you can necessarily interpret it it doesn't work for me really at all like i i don't know like there's just it, it, it's it i just i don't think it's paced as well as it could be i think it's too obvious that oliver is this conniving scheming skeevy character like with this massive huge obsession of felix and like the whole film to me just became an, an exercise and just waiting for him to do something and then waiting to find out the payoffs from the things that he did it just like i don't know i don't know like it just didn't intrigue me on any of those fronts like i said that would have been that would have been like the 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 the, the master stroke of this movie if we get all the way to the end of the movie and we find out that he didn't kill Felix because we're, we're definitely meant to assume that he did with how, with how unemotional he is like toward the family after he dies. 
-hmm. like obviously has the scene where he humps the grave and he's crying and sobbing because he's distraught and you know just like he'll never have him now like getting dirt on his dirt on his hog but i mean it's just like yeah like that would have been the real swing for me if it would have been like it wasn't him at all like it was just some terrible accident or 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 something like that like who knows like any any number of other things i think it just became a little bit too obvious and a little bit uh, a little bit kind of cliche i dare say yeah it definitely wore its you know talented mr ripley on its sleeve a little bit there um i just want to give a shout out as we're wrapping up here on saltburn guys to uh, linus sangren the cinematographer he works with damien chazelle a lot he did la la land first man babylon uh no time to die the bond film um I love the cinematography in this movie. We already talked about the ratio. And I think that Sangren may be one of maybe two, uh, if you want to talk about production design or costume design as well for Oscar nominations, but I don't see a lot of stuff coming Saltburn's way, but I would not be surprised by cinematography and production design. I mean, the film is beautiful. I mean, it's, it's just a really, really extravagant movie that, kind of visually tells the story of kind of Saltburn and that kind of upper echelon of the society that these people live in, you know, and I thought it really came across beautifully in the film along with the performances too. And we already talked about that. I mean, everything is, is that so good, man, to kind of, to kind of add one more thing to that as well. Linus Sandgren's cinematography is such that it really does feel like it's also a character in the movie. It does. Like it's, it's shot and, 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 and staged in such a way. Like, again, that goes to production design, set design, like all those kinds of things too. But it, it really does feel like it's its own character in the movie too, which is always a credit to a movie like this. When you have a, like, obviously the movie's called Saltburn. you know, it's, it's very much meant to be a major part of the film. And, and it really feels like it is. It doesn't feel like you're just at some random old, whatever it it definitely feels like it is this like like the and it, it's it's just it's so strange the way that it's designed too and they go through all the rooms on like the tour and you see like mm-hmm. all the pictures of all the different scene. people hanging up everywhere and all those kinds of different things it's so it's just it's it's odd it's just odd to me I love when Alordi's taking him on the tour when he first gets there and he's just going to all the rooms and pointing all the stuff out. And he's like, oh, and that's where I accidentally fingered my cousin. But we won't talk about that. No. <laughs> he keeps going up the stairs. Yeah, this is a really good one take of him going through Saltburn, kind of introducing him to the different rooms and stuff. But yeah, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to that. That's our discussion on Saltburn, guys. Anything you want to say to wrap up, Nick? Or are you good? No, I'm good. You want to? Uh, meet I think me. it's worth seeing. I'm, 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 I'm going to say that even with my score, my score for okay. me isn't passing technically, but I'm still going to say it's worth seeing, just because mm-hmm. I think there's, I think, I think, I think it's, it's one of those movies that you're going to form your own opinion about it. You're either really going to love it, or it's not going to be for you. And in my case, it just definitely wasn't for me. And it was for me. So uh, meet me on the lawn at midnight in the moonlight, buddy. We'll uh, we'll continue this conversation. God help me. Nine from me and a five from Nick puts it at a seven from the peas, which honestly might be one of the highest ratings I've seen from podcasts over <laughs> seven out of ten. So for a salt burn. So you maybe we, we I win. Yay! I won. So that's our discussion on Saltburn, guys. Nick, I really appreciated it, man, and I, I'm I'm glad you got up to the theater to check this one out. Now next week. We are doing our first ever kind of mystery review on the peas. Part of that is because we're cool and we want to be, you know, cool for our listeners. The other part is because we have no idea what the fuck we're going to talk about. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> we'll figure it out though, because Nick is going to an actual mystery screening this week at his yep, uh, local regal mystery regal. movies tomorrow. So. And I have a couple screeners sitting in my inbox, so we're going to see if they kind of match up. But we're going to try to do something current, and we'll throw it at you next week, and then realistically we will probably be off the week after that because we realize our recording day falls on christmas eve and i don't think santa claus would appreciate me keeping the kids up late so we probably won't be recording that week but next week look for a new review for a new release uh as long as we can make it happen or question mark i enjoyed uh discussing salt burn with you buddy by the way i i have already written this into the will and area i'm leaving my estate to you all my assets are yours I get the horror uh, guy sign that's hanging behind him because that's you get that. That's the um, only thing that's written in there. Yeah, there's not a lot to give you, but it's it's yours. So whatever you whatever you want, you don't have to kill me. Okay, it's already being left to you. All right, man. I'll see you next week. We'll uh, we'll get in the holiday spirit. We'll talk about something, brother.
Yeah. Thank you all so, so much for listening. Take good care of yourselves, everybody. Thank you. See you next week, guys.